Hello, everyone, and welcome to Badminton Lights Out, a feature of the Badminton Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of high-performance badminton. I'm Grania. I'm Justine, and let's dive into it. We mentioned in the episode of Things We Wish We Knew When We Were Young that this sport is very expensive. So today, our main topic is earning money while trying to achieve your athletic dreams. So we're going to deep dive into exactly what that entails and different ways that you can figure out how to earn money and support all the tournament costs and everything that goes into badminton. Yes, because it is very expensive. So our first point today is that there are different avenues of income out there and, you know, everyone is in different situations. So we're going to dive into that. For example, in New Zealand, players can't be called professional badminton players because we don't actually get any um, sort of income from it. So unfortunately, badminton is not as big as rugby here in New Zealand. So all badminton athletes here are self-funded and we have to find different ways to come up um, for in- with income of pretty much how to fund tournaments, how to fund our life. And yeah, but Garnier is in a different situation. So what's your situation like in Australia? Yeah, so for us, I guess um, me and Sadiana are probably the most professional. Um, I'm very lucky that I've had a lot of like sponsorship opportunities for most of my career, which is pretty much how I could continue competing. Otherwise, I would not have got to this level or have kind of had the opportunities that I had without that kind of money. Um, and then, yeah, the most majority of Australian players are similar to New Zealand. So um, I guess what what are some of the, the ways that in New Zealand that players will earn money, like full-time job, coaching, that kind of stuff? Yeah, coaching is one of them, but otherwise the majority, since we uh, we managed to, a majority of us have done have finished uni, we are into like our own fields of getting a full-time job. Some are doing our part-time job, like me, I'm doing a part-time job. I did try and do a full-time job along with um, training, and honestly, it's so tiring. It's like doing two jobs at once because we do so many hours of, um, of training. But yeah, the majority of the squad are doing full-time jobs and but oh wait (laughs) wait i just lost my trail of thought otherwise if you're like a uni student uni student um they're also being supported by their family or yeah i don't think i don't i don't know if i know anyone with sponsorships but the easiest way to do to earn money i guess is to be a trust fund kid you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's definitely a good way to go and I guess along with that, even, you know, some of the athletes that have full-time jobs, they're still trying to like stay at home and, you know, save up as best they can to support their tournaments because it's still such an expensive sport mm. to play and at a high level. Conversely, in some other nations, such as like, you know, throughout Asia, like Malaysia, Indonesia, China, they have big, well-supported national teams. So their association is well-funded, which means that they usually pay a salary to the players and this is usually dependent on their world ranking. So um, like that's motivation for them to, you know, get results and they just get a weekly or I don't know how exactly how it's paid, but, you know, a salary that is like a full-time job. And a lot of the time they also just live at the dormitories, um, which means they don't have expenses. Their food is paid for that kind of thing. I think it's usually once they get married that they're allowed to live outside or I don't know, some places maybe they have the choice of living outside or staying there. 
Um, but that's, yeah, that's a totally different thing. And then all the tournaments are paid for, um, all the travel expenses that it's, um, yeah, it's really professional. Well, I can't imagine, like, because here in New Zealand and Australia, we don't live together, right? We're like, once we finish trading, we just go off into our own lives. And I can't imagine, like, being with the squad 24-7. I, I'd be pretty annoyed at myself. Like, I, I like, talk all the time, so. <laughs> yourself. <laughs> yeah, at myself. <laughs> if I had to live with myself, I'd <laughs> just putting my just shoes. Shut up. Yeah, pretty much putting putting myself into other shoes I'll just be like no, she has to stop talking like <laughs> no but when I like um I'm at like you know Hong Kong Institute or in Malaysia it's really nice to see that they are just like family you know that mm-hmm. they can be competitors because technically you know like all the women's doubles girls or whatever are competing against each other to you know get sent to certain tournaments that kind of thing but because you know some of them have moved away from their hometowns they don't have family around they really are just like family and it's it's so sweet to see as well because that's not the perception that I had like before I visited these places I thought you know everyone is like competitive and they want to beat each other and yeah um I even used to think that like because they had to train so much and they were getting paid to do it that they didn't actually want to do it I was like, they just have to do this job because it's the only way they earn income. I don't even know if they like always want to win, but like going there, they're just like us, they, you know, they want to, they want to achieve their athletic dreams and yeah, and everything. But I just had this weird perception. I was like, I don't know if they like actually like doing what they do. <laughs> nah, but it's true. Like um, I say that I would be annoyed at being around people all the time, but when I actually experienced like stay, staying with BEC, like uh, the Ukraine of Excellence. It was really fun. Oh, actually, COE, Center of Excellence. Yeah, and they were all singles yeah. players. And it was so cool to just be a team. And the vibe and trainings was quite cool because everyone shared the same goal. They all just wanted to get better. And then, so it's like intense training. And then after training, it's like, well, everyone's just friends and chill. So it was fun, actually. So it'd be cool to have that in Australia and New Zealand, maybe, once we have a lot of funding. <laughs> <laughs> once you guys win a gold medal. Yeah, someone's a, someone wins a gold medal. <laughs> we have yeah. to qualify for the Olympics. I mean, even if we qualify, we have to get through the committee, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. You guys have but a another topic. There. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that can be in our ex- um, complaining podcast where we just shit talk about everything that's that's bad. <laughs> now, just a quick word from our sponsors. As people who love badminton, we all know that it's not just about the sport itself. It's about the connections you make and the things that it teaches you as a person that you're able to bring to all of the other parts of your life. That's why we want to introduce you to the book Mirror of Magico, written by Al Liao, a former Taiwanese national badminton player who is as passionate about badminton as us. For those who love Harry Potter, you want to give this one a read because Al has authored a fantasy story where three different characters with varying personalities go on a journey of adventure and learning. And they realize that things don't just happen to you, they happen because of you. And by being yourself and spending time in your dreams, you can conquer the evils and be the best version of yourself. So make sure you check it out. Mirror of Magico, written by Ao Liao. You can find it in all leading bookstores and we'll leave the link in the podcast description. 
Alternatively, um, sponsorship is, as I mentioned, a another source of income, even for the players that have um, salaries or, you know, are from the big nations that are well supported. So this is pretty much usually in the form of a brand ambassadorship. So pretty much the mm-hmm. sponsor uses your image, you know, take photos with the product. Sometimes there's social media uh deals involved which means you know you have to post a certain amount of times a month um you have to attend a certain number of events you need to um i don't know what else is there yeah just take photos or just promote the product pretty much um it really depends on your deals right i mean on your contract right Yeah, yeah yeah and then in exchange for that they usually give you money sometimes you know it might just be free product if it's something expensive or there could mm-hmm. be other forms of transaction, but usually the best is money. Like yeah. that. <laughs> but for sponsorships, it doesn't start off with money, right? Like um, it, it usually starts with just products first. And then once you build your personal branding, it starts becoming um, monetary. Would you say that's right? Yeah. So it depends, I guess, your level. But if you're starting out from smaller, it's usually just products. So um, you know, you might have just like a local badminton shop who give you free stringing and you mm. um, wear their logo on your shirt or something like that. And then, you know, if you grow up the rankings and you get to, you know, the top 10, then then it's like big deals, like a lot of money involved, um, a yeah. lot of, you know, photo shoots and things that you have to do for them as well. So, yeah, it's yeah. definitely related to pretty much your marketability like whether that be world ranking or kind of social media as well yeah so I think like the um we'll get into our next point because I think you would be the best person to talk to in terms of like in Oceanis and stuff like how you earn your income because you don't do a normal job right so how do you earn your income for the tournaments yeah so majority of my um income is through leaning which is um huge badminton brand that most people would know about probably second to Yonex and I, they've supported me since I think about like 2012. Um, and it obviously started out a lot less before I was um, up in the rankings. Um, and they they pretty much were trying to just help me maintain my tournament so that I was able to afford to play tournaments. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately like what they were helping me reimburse so that I could, you know, put all that money towards my badminton. And then as I've, you know, got a bigger social media following and gone up the rankings, it's um, grown with that um, kind of, yeah we've grown together, which has been really um, an awesome journey. I'm so grateful to have them as well. But um, yeah, so outside of that, what I tried to do was kind of started with when my Chinese heritage thing got out that I was related to um, Kang Yue, a famous Chinese revolutionist. Um, So from there, I started getting a few more followers on Instagram and stuff just from the news articles and, you know, other media outlets Mm. I guess not specifically me and then I kind of just thought I should make the best of this opportunity I should just keep posting stuff updating people Um, and it's just grown and grown from then and you know at certain tournaments it'll just jump my followers will jump a bit um, things like that so through that I've found other sponsorships so I've had um, like a Slim Secrets protein bar kind of sponsorship for a bit I've had property development just kind of random connections and opportunities and I think I mentioned that in one of our other podcasts about, you know, just being open to all these opportunities and networking and like, you never know who you could meet, especially in sponsorships. It can just be a random social player at the club who really wants to support you or really, you know, likes your journey or your story, that kind of thing, who can help 
help a lot with sponsorship opportunities or connecting you with someone. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, we have to try and go viral, right? So that we can <laughs> network out there. So if we're ever in a tournament, we'll try like racket swap or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. So there's people that are, you know, making YouTube tutorial videos now, like um, I think Mads Christofferson from Denmark is, has been doing that pretty regularly. There's two English players as well who started Badminton Insight. Um, so that's ways just to kind of, create value that you can then show to sponsors and you can be like, ah, oh, I can put your logo on my videos as a digital mm-hmm. asset. Um, you can pay me this much per month or you can support me for these tournaments. Um, but then, yeah, I would say as you're starting out to just start small and kind of, if you're not a big name to understand that there's not usually as much in it for the sponsor and you kind of need mm-hmm. to be, be really nice about it and, yeah address it in a way that makes them want to help you out so in terms of like social media right so we're going to talk to people who want to start out the social media what would be the best way to do it like would you how often would you have to post or like what kind of posts do you have to do to help gain Um, sponsorships or make or start a personal brand so I, I would say to try and like center your social media around kind of three pillars so obviously one of them would be badminton And it depends kind of what else you're interested in, because obviously you want it to be authentic to you and, you know, stuff that you enjoy posting about. So for me, it's like health and fitness and then just kind of a bit of my, you know, normal day-to-day life, like my friends, family, that kind of thing as well. Um, So I'd center stuff around those three things and then just kind of try and do more as you feel comfortable. I think it's really hard if you're forcing it and you don't enjoy it and you're just Mm. doing it for the sake of it. So, I mean, I try to do at least like five posts a week, just usually about kind of my training that day or, you know, food or what I did on the weekend, that kind of stuff. But maybe just starting out, you can just post around tournaments, just updating people on your results or how you're preparing for a tournament. If you want to keep it more badminton focused, Um, you know, posting things, if you have a big occasion, like a birthday or a graduation, exciting stuff like that, as well as always um, nice. And just kind of kind of doing what you might like to see from others as well or just Mm. getting feedback from what you post yeah did you ever feel like you uh you were scared to post anything or like post something online where for example you were training and you were like oh should I post that like my technique looks off did you ever have to go through that mentally or was it just you didn't really think about it and you were like nah YOLO (laughs) I have a YOLO attitude to most stuff but those thoughts do cross my mind because you know, to me, I'm like a top t- like 20, 25 player. There's obviously okay. people that are better than me. So I can't, you kind of have that in the back of your head. You're like, oh, I'm not the best in the world at this. Should I be the one that's, you know, trying to teach others or show them like how to do it, that kind of thing, if I'm not like actually the best. But I think I just come back to, you know, I think if, some, if this helps somebody or somebody finds some value from it, then it's worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. And try I not remember- to think of like, yeah. sorry, and and try not to like, just think of those few people who might be like oh that's a bit weird like majority of people probably appreciate the effort that you're putting in so you shouldn't worry about it exactly well I guess also if they do spot something like something that's wrong wrong or whatever they could just mentally be like oh I can see what she's doing wrong there this could probably how she can um improve it so in a way you're also helping them identify things 
if they could find something wrong though <laughs> yeah, yeah i remember and- i remember we were looking at this exercise and we're like because we we know a lot of um like physio stuff right because <laughs> we know our physio and we're like oh that's not physio approved but you know <laughs> Should it's we say what it was? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Okay. It was, there was a player can, that was doing... Or just, there was a player that was doing a gym exercise and her knee was going inwards, which is like knee valgus. And I sent it to Justine. I was like, oh, this knee, this knee's borderline like going in. And she's like, yeah, that's not physio approved. And I was like, yeah, but she's stronger. So I think she gets away with it. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'll go into how to create your brand deck for sponsors. So this is the kind of... It's a 10 page document that I have that I send out to sponsors or, you know, brands I might want to work with, or if I have a manager, I'll send it to the manager that does this for me as well. But um, this is probably for kind of higher end athletes that might be on tour trying to find support, or, you know, you want to start traveling a lot more, you need that support. Otherwise I'll go into a little bit at the end, if you are like a junior and, you know, more local tournaments um, way to do it. But so pretty much mine's a 10 page document. The first page is just a nice photo of me, um, my name, Australian badminton player and ambassador, links to like the different social media um, platforms through uh, like icons, my email address and my website. And then I just have a short bio pretty much about how I got into badminton, what my dreams are, like my goals and a little bit about what I'm doing outside of badminton. So what I study, um, yeah, that kind of thing. I have a core values page, which has health, determined, respect, environmentally conscious, but that's not probably a necessity. Then I I have a badminton page about the badminton statistics. So I think this is important if you're approaching a brand that's not familiar with badminton. So in Australia, most companies wouldn't understand how big badminton is globally if they weren't Asian probably (laughs) so I have like that it's the fastest racket sport that it's been in the Olympic Games since 1992 that 220 million people play it more than once a week um the affiliated countries how much it's broadcast to um and how it's like uh I think sixth popular most popular sport throughout the world by participation so it's like small facts about badminton really to give an idea of what we do pretty much right yeah yeah so pretty much like I kind of tried to sell myself a little bit but then I also need to sell the sport because they also base it off the sport and you know the participants and how many people they think that you will reach through your badminton um Mm. career as well and probably they're probably going to look at the demographic as well like of the sport right yeah 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 exactly it's all about kind of aligning your audience with theirs so that's why you know you don't see athletes partnering with cigarette companies or (laughs) maybe they partner with beer companies I don't know but that kind of thing (laughs) I was really surprised about the McDonald's one, actually. I was like, ooh. Because <laughs> McDo- Tatooine got a McDonald's sponsorship. And I was like, damn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, do you know how much like the, the Taiwan team eat McDonald's? Just like, honestly, after so many tournaments, you just walk back from the courts. And if there's a McDonald's nearby, there'll be so many players there. It's, it's, it's not the best, but I mean, she's like world champ and everything. So yeah. Is she world champ? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> she's up there. She's world number one, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, I think I'm up. So my fifth page, then, then I'll introduce like my badminton career. So I'll say a few of my accomplishments and, you know, some tournaments that I've won. Don't go into like huge detail here because they don't understand, you know, every tournament. So just like the big ones, make them sound as big as you can. Yeah. Don't ex- like, yeah, exaggerate them, you know, in a, in a 
true way I guess <laughs> you know like say you represented your country at the biggest team event whatever yeah. <laughs> um then I have a social media presence with my statistics across a few platforms and like my main country following um that kind of thing but I would say if you don't have that then maybe just maybe talk about what you want to achieve in social media like I have a dream to start a YouTube channel. Um, I want to make videos or I want to do vlogs, that kind of thing, and kind of just sell them what you might do in the future as well. Yeah. Um, and then I also have a thing about collaborations with the companies that I've worked with in the past and what I have done with them. So my third last page is the, like the things I've done. So I've brand ambassador, product endorsement, done TV hosting, modeling, appearances, events, and then the other sponsors that I've worked with, a few photos. Every page has um, photos or kind of icons. My second last page is my timeline. So kind of what I want to achieve in the next two years, including like the, the things I want to, like if I want to win a super serious title that I want to reach the top 10, um, like that I wanted to go to the Olympics, that kind of thing. So they can see the path that you're on and kind of know what they would be investing in and what you what they could get out of you if you started to kind of achieve some of these goals as well. And then the final page is just kind of like a contact me for a tailored proposal and a photo and the links to all my social media again so super short and sharp because usually the people you're sending this to they get a lot of these things they don't have time to go through 20 pages of you won yeah. the victorian <laughs> open in 2013 kind of thing so yeah yeah so if like if someone wanted to make their own one of this right like who would you approach for these kind of things um so for big ones like if I'm trying to look for big companies, then I would kind of go through social media. I've been doing lately, finding the industry that I want, say that's, you know, a protein company or food delivery, whatever it is. And I'll go through a few, um, you know, usually there's multiple. I'll have a look at them, see which one I like the, the look of, see which one yeah. look like they have brand ambassadors. Because if they kind of, you know, they just do their own thing, it doesn't look like they engage with brand ambassadors, then sometimes I won't bother sending, sending, it, sending it out. But usually I'd probably just send it to a few um, and through their email online or um, find the yeah. marketing manager through LinkedIn as well. That works. Um, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so what about if you're a junior and you're kind of just starting out with not much results and stuff? Like what, what would you do? So in that case, I like when I was younger in high school, I think I would, I would write a, le a letter with a few photos on it and pretty much detailing my journey. So, you know, saying I started playing badminton when this is, when I was this age, I've won these tournaments or, you know, I was under 17 national champion. Um, uh, would you be interested in, you know, giving me $500 to help me get to world champion, uh, junior world championships, um, which is in Germany next year? kind of thing and I would usually try and go to companies that you have a relationship with so whether that be I don't know like your physio or your local post office you know some some sort of store or if you know people kind of through badminton or your parents do um, that kind of thing who might be who might be wanting to support you I think it's good to just start like in your small kind of community network and I think also they don't have to be a junior, right? Like they could just be a starting player. And this is how you can start that sponsorship yeah. deal. And, and another way is to also just reduce your expenses. So seeing if somebody might give you 50% physio rate or free streaming or, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. or you can do an exchange where you coach 
someone for a little bit and then they do something for you or help you save money, those kind of things. Yeah. But I guess we can talk about that in our next series of the budgeting, right? Because right now we're talking about how to make the money. (laughs) Now, just a quick word from our sponsors. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Volant was first born out of our frustration with the confusing, bright and unsightly clothes and equipment that we saw in the badminton world. But now it's so much more than that. Our mission is to accelerate the growth of badminton by providing players with products that enhance their love for the sport. All in all, it's high quality gear that makes you look and feel great on and off the court. So make sure you check us out at volantbadminton.com and follow us on our socials at volantbadminton. Another thing is like, um, what's the hardest part about being an athlete and finding funds? Because like, for me in New Zealand, um, since a majority of us have to like find jobs, right? So we actually have to. Um, the hardest part is actually finding a job that would suit our training needs because like I mentioned before our training it takes up a lot of time luckily a, a lot of us are in the same boat so our training times are actually outside the normal working hours but it is hard to find a job that understands the demands of the sport like for example majority of the year we are training but once we do want to start uh, competing internationally we have to be away for a certain amount of time because when we do compete uh we're uh, we try and compete um three tournaments in a row or like something that's close to the countries because it's just not um efficient or it's not like money well it's not what's the word feasible yeah because with New Zealand being so far, it doesn't make sense to go out of the country, spend like $3,000 just to come back after one week. So we do try and make the most of um, our time out. So the hardest part is finding a company that understands that we will be away multiple times of the year. So it's not really easy to get that. And I think that's the biggest um, obstacle that we have to face. Yeah, and I think COVID has kind of been a bit kind with that as well, giving Mm. people a chance to save up and then hopefully, you know, once the world's a bit back to normal and everyone's so eager to play tournaments again that people can just go out and play a bunch and there'll be awesome tournaments and awesome participation, but we'll have to wait and see maybe a bit longer. Yeah. (laughs) There was an Olympian, uh, there was an athletics Olympian that that was working in Woolworths, right? And everyone, everyone seemed to be like, oh, everybody should be funding her and stuff. And they don't realize how many athletes are actually in that situation. Like not all the athletes have all the money to like fund their thing. So it's crazy. It was funny to see the, how, how they reacted. Like if only they knew. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, there are big national team players who used to uh, be in the national team, but then they move out and become independent to pursue better sponsorship opportunities. Because if you are in the national team, some especially in the big countries like Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, you're bound to Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> Singapore's big too. <laughs> But not as big as Indonesia, you know, Indonesia, Japan, they're tied to a sponsorship. So to get bigger opportunities, they do have to, you know, either make a deal with their national team or leave the national team. So would you be able to tell us more about like the differences between 
uh, a national team player and an independent player? Yeah, so I think the motivation usually to leave the national team is usually because of wanting to pursue more sponsorship opportunities. So usually the whole squad has a sponsor. So like whether that be leaning Yonex, Victor, kind of that that thing. Mm-hmm. And they can just choose to use, you know, the two most high profile players for all their promotions and use the image and photo shoots and that kind of thing. But I don't know how much the players actually get the benefit from doing that. I think it still kind of goes to the association and the players would still just get their kind of normal salary from from the association so it just it they just the associations still just have so much control and if you are in bad standing with them that you can't enter tournaments because sometimes they they block you and they won't endorse your entry into tournaments um which i think is is totally crazy but so you know that there's different reasons why people leave the national teams if they have you know bad relationships or uh not getting sent to tournaments not getting picked as well but primarily but primarily primarily (laughs) lately players I think have been leaving to um earn more money ultimately and so like in Malaysia goalieing Champagne soon and some of the men's doubles guys have kind of set up their own training um club to so that they can be independent and earn their own money and still kind of maintain their training in a good environment with all these other players as well Mm. but obviously it's a lot of effort they're supporting themselves they have to plan everything logistically themselves pay for their own coach um all that kind of stuff and now they're like purely reliant on sponsors but you know if they if they're getting enough then it then it's great yeah what's what's the disadvantage of being an independent player um i think it's probably the hardest thing is probably just the organization around um having to arrange your training and your tournaments and your travel and that kind of thing. I think a lot of players, especially in Asia, they're, they're not used to doing that because it's usually, you know, somebody in mm-hmm. admin who who does all that for them, who organizes everything. They just turn up to training, train, listen to the coach and then go back. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that's, that's a huge struggle. And then yeah, being purely dependent on sponsors. I mean, if, if the purpose of them leaving is to earn more money, then that's great. But if, you know, some people get kicked out of the national team, which happens quite a lot, especially in Malaysia, um, then you're just left without an income for a while. So you have to really find those sponsors to be able to um, support yourself and then even support your tournaments as well. Yeah. So what about like COVID now, right? Since there's not a lot of tournaments, does that affect the independent players? Um. Yeah, I think it would just because they're, they're not earning prize money. They're not going to tournaments and the sponsors, you know, they have less opportunity to, to promote the sponsors because tournaments mm-hmm. are a big, a big chance for that. Um, so yeah, I think it's been tough. And in general, like businesses aren't, I guess, as willing to sponsor right now because they have all their own uh, money issues with COVID and their own, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing as well. We mostly talked about social media, right? And well, part-time, full-time job in your industries, but like what are other ways that you can earn money like, I guess, one, you could start a business, right, that could be accessed online. So that means your income will be remote and it you don't really have to be, you don't really have to settle in one place. So that's one. Could you think of other avenues that would be ideal for um, badminton players? Um, we've mentioned this before, but just like if you have a decent amount of money already doing investment, trading, that kind of thing that's mobile. I know some mm-hmm. of our, our players um, are trying to get into that bit more too support their traveling lifestyle um and as you mentioned with the league that's also a big thing especially in europe um players get a lot of 
money from that that then they use to fund their tournaments for the year so that's that's a big deal over there so um, you know if you are outside of Europe then it's it's a good idea to see if you want to play a European league and you know that it's usually such an awesome experience you get to be kind of based at a club or you know train at another national team and just kind of have that European experience and get really good matches experience most of the time because the quality is pretty good um but then you know there's other nations that have it, like japan and malaysia usually yeah. indian league as well well what about the asian leagues because we talk about the european leagues what's the difference between the asian leagues and the european leagues is it just is it harder to get into the asian leagues or do they just have enough players that they don't really need a lot of like imports or what what is it i think a lot of them like especially china i think they have all the players that they need so I don't think they have like any internationals um and then yeah Malaysia has some foreigners like I played um the purple league once Japan I think have a few foreigners as well and then the Indian league is I think one of the highest earning ones um and that's where they try and get a lot of international players I think there's a requirement of how many Indian players in it but it's pretty much they're trying to get the biggest names so that's why they're paying the athletes really well as well so that they're motivated to go and I would say with the Asian ones or the ones that are, I, I know of anyway, I don't know exactly how China works, but they're usually in a shorter period of time. So it's maybe just like over one to two months kind of thing. Whereas the European one usually goes, uh, well, the multiple European ones, they usually go from maybe like September to yeah. March or April. So they have like different different matches, different phases of like preliminaries and then finals as well. So it's a longer period. So it's, mm. yeah, it's a different format. Do you know, do you know which league uh, gives you the most money? Uh, I think Indian, mm. the Indian Premier League. Yeah, because yeah, they do that bidding thing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So I put my name in once as a bid, but they don't have women's doubles. So I was like in for mixed doubles before I could really play it very well. But um, <laughs> you set your own minimum price and then they yeah. just like show up the names and all the the clubs are like sitting in this room and they, they streamed it. And then like, you know, they put a bid if they want that player. And then if there's two or three people that want it, then they'll bid off and the player's value That's will go up. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. All right. Do you have any uh, few final tips to finish? Um, I would say just try and, you know, if you're starting out that try and think of ways that you can market yourself. I think it's getting like athletes are starting to see the value in it um and that even brands in every industry are basing kind of brand ambassadorships not just on somebody's performance in whatever field it is but also their social media kind of Mm. uh reach as well like it's just a way to access a huge audience so i'd say just try to um slowly tick away at that if you can yeah i think it's also i could almost say that your social media is pretty much the new cv of like our day and age because whenever someone applies for a job right I'm almost certain they would check their social media just to see what they're like you know (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so people start your personal brands out there (laughs) yeah don't lose your job by doing dumb stuff no (laughs) yeah and also I mean alternatively of course you can think of a long term to figure out your career or what industry you would like to get into um, after your badminton career unless you're planning to obviously play till you're like 50 or something <laughs> okay I think with that thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today and I learned a lot from this as well because you gained your income or like 
your social presence in a different way. And it was so nice for you to share it with us and the listeners to our third wheelers. <laughs> yeah. So it was good to say, do you have, do you have a challenge that you want to give out for our listeners this week? Yeah, I would say my challenge will be that to have a think about which kind of path you would like to venture into to help you earn money to like support your athletic career. Like if you're a junior, maybe start putting some money aside to um, have specifically for badminton later on and just kind of thinking long-term about how to manage your money. I think it can be easily overlooked um, and yeah, just try to maximize how you can go about supporting your badminton. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let us know how that goes on the comments of this episode and stay tuned for an upcoming episode of How to Budget for Your Badminton Career. All right, and now outro. Thank you for listening to Badminton Lights Out by The Badminton Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Rumor has it, if you don't share this episode to someone, you will lose $5. (laughs) So share it. Don't forget to like, comment, and share this episode, which is available on all platforms. Follow us on Instagram. The handle is at the badminton lights out or at the badminton podcast, no spaces. Stay tuned for the next episode.